Much is made about the United States providing leadership around the globe. But does the American ideological position make it a philosophy that provides values that others may want to follow? What made the United States the shining light on the hill was its openness of all viewpoints and willingness to discuss all philosophies. America was once a centrist country where all beliefs could be represented and used to inform policy. The political spectrum was broad and the economy of ideas was very inclusive. The evolution of the United States and the shrinking represented political spectrum in America has greatly changed the reputation of the country and its ability to have its values resonate beyond its shores. In the eyes of the world, the United States has gone well beyond being the conservative nation it espouses itself to be and has slipped to the extreme right end of the spectrum where it is considered a fringe ideological element. How did we get here? How is this manifesting for Americans to see and understand? Can we recover from this shift? In this episode, we attempt to answer all these questions and more. Welcome to the Excited States of America. Greetings and salutations, fellow Americans and listeners from all points around the globe. I'm George. And I'm Martha. In this episode of the Excited States of America, we're going to explore a tough topic for people to understand, the political spectrum, how it works, where America finds itself, and how that looks on the international stage. We'll also discuss how we got here and if there is a way to change course. So let's jump right in and get an idea what the political spectrum is, and where America currently finds itself. So let's just start right out with what is the political spectrum? The the political spectrum is basically a representation of the various political positions, the political ideologies, and where they relate to one another. Um, There's multiple ways of looking at the political spectrum. You can view it in two dimensions. You can view it in three dimensions. It is truly multidimensional. The best way to represent it is a flat line from the American perspective. Left to right. The spectrum used to have the extreme left, which was communism, to the extreme right, which is fascism. And there are various components in between. The spectrum really goes starting on the left, communism, socialism, liberalism, centrism, conservatism, libertarianism, and fascism. That's the easiest way to understand the political spectrum when we look at it from the American perspective. We can get much more complex and go into the multi-dimensions of it, but that could probably blur some lines and make the issue that much more difficult to to talk about. But I I did want to point out that it's important to look at it as a sphere two if you want to talk about moving from one end of the political spectrum to the other, sometimes extreme ideologies on either side of the spectrum can meet. They can, they can. Um, And actually taking that line that we were talking about and instead turning it into a ribbon and a ribbon that you can go and wrap around a ball where the two ends of the spectrum will meet because many of the ideals in communism and fascism are not that different 
they just have a much different focus. Communism being focused in on the state, while fascism being focused more on the industry end of how things are produced and and how things work. So even though they appear to be very different, they have so many commonalities that you can actually take the two ends of that ribbon and glue them together. And you can travel on that tape and do a big circle. So yes, the two ends will meet. And a really good example of that, when you look back at the George W. Bush administration, many of those particular individuals, the neoconservatives, started their studies as Trotskyites. Trotskyites being very, very far on the left end of the political spectrum. And then all of a sudden, they become neoconservatives. They pop up way over on the extreme right side of the spectrum. Very authoritarian in their approach. Both leveraging authoritarianism, but very different ways of approaching that particular authoritarian rule. What would you say? China, which is considered probably one of the most reflective of communism in present day, would you say that's an authoritarian state as well? Oh, very much so. Everything that happens in China happens for the state. Everything is controlled by the state. Yes, they practice the market economy, but they practice the market economy for the benefit of the state. Uh, People in China call it capitalism light. It is. It's very much capitalism light. But then again, so is the American version of capitalism. Not sure we want to go down that rabbit hole, but we do not practice true capitalism ourselves. Why is it that so many politicians like to refer to the United States as a capitalist country then? Because we do embrace many of the ideals of capitalism. The problem is that we do not embrace the very foundations of what capitalism is about. If this country was truly capitalistic, we would not run into the number of monopolies that we see. We would not have so many massive corporations that control so many different things. We would see a more open economy. Those that have the means right now control the economy. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is he who comes up with the better mousetrap is most likely to control the, the marketplace. Is that what they call a free market? Yes, we do not have a free market. We have a very regulated market, and it is not the government that regulates the market. It's the corporations who regulate that particular marketplace. So would you call that a corporatocracy? Yeah, corporatocracy is a good term. We, as as a nation, we are very much tied into those corporations. Everything we do is for the benefit of those corporations. We go and have these economic hiccups or crashes, depending upon which which particular party you talk to. And what do we do? We bail out the corporations. We bail out the banks. Do the people get a fair cut of that? No, they do not. We spend billions, hundreds of billions of dollars when Obama was in office, $700 billion to the benefit of the banks with this COVID thing. Trump has given a couple of trillion dollars in bailouts to the corporations. What did the people get? What was the stimulus check? $1,200 each? That's if you qualify for a stimulus check. If you qualify for a stimulus check, right. If you really want to know what the people got in this particular situation, it was the shaft. Right. The average Joe on the street did not get what they needed to survive during this, this COVID pandemic. So I want to go back, just backtrack a little bit. We will go into where America finds itself on the political spectrum as we laid it out. But I want to go back because... We mentioned China as an example of communism. Yes. Do we have any modern examples of fascism today? 
I know we would have put, you don't like to talk about Nazis, but we would have put Nazi Germany in the fascist column. But are there any present day countries that you would say are in the fascist column, just to give an example? Russia would be a good example, I think, of a fascist state. They're definitely not communist anymore. Things aren't done for the state. They're done for enrichment of those who already are rich. They're oligarchs, which are very much, they're throwbacks to the communist state. They were very powerful players in the Communist Party, and they made their money when the state broke up. But they have gone, again, that's a good example of where they took another step further to the left, popped way up over on the right. And now everything that is done is controlled by those oligarchs, and everything is done for the enrichment of those individuals. And if that's sounding familiar, it likely is. Let's just talk about Putin for a minute, because he's pretty much put himself in power indefinitely. For life. Yeah. Yeah. T- tell me there's much difference between uh, Xi Jinping and uh, Putin. I don't think there's a hell of a lot when they both just basically made themselves ruler for life. Right. Just different ends of the political spectrum, communism versus fascism. I think that you know, if you go and look at other areas of the world, you will find really good examples of the various segments of the political spectrum as as the average American views it. You know, you, you look at socialism, you're going to immediately think of some of the Scandinavian countries. They really have a strong bond and, and really look out for the entirety of the nation. They still they still practice the market economy, but for the most part, they are very socialistic. If you had to describe socialism to someone, what were what would be some of the basic tenets of socialism? Collectivism? Collectivism. We, we do things for the betterment of everybody buddy not the individual. And that isn't to mean that your economic means are taken away from you and given to everybody else. That's not the way socialism works. Socialism works that you're going to have a chunk of your earnings taken away from you and used for programs that support the entirety of the nation. That's why, you know, Finland has the best education system in the world. It's why, you know, the various Scandinavian countries have a fantastic healthcare system. They've got a fantastic social safety net. They have great social programs that work for everybody, not just a select few. So where do we find ourselves in the United States of 2020 on this political spectrum that we've laid out? We have slowly evolved. And when I say slowly, it has been a grind. After World War II, we were a very centrist nation, but we are—we now find ourselves way over on the right compared to the rest of the world. We are closer to Putin's Russia than we are anything else. We used to be very much aligned with many of the nations that are part of NATO, part of the G8 G20. We used to embrace the same ideals of those particular nations, and we don't do that anymore. We have adopted a much more aggressive form of individualism that makes us so much different from everybody else. We're even more different than the Russians in that regard. The sense of rugged individualism, is that what you're talking about? The United States prides itself on? I don't like using the term rugged individualism because it portrays a certain image that is unearned. We do not have rugged individualism. We have irresponsible individualism. Can you, oh. can you say why, why you think that? What do you mean by irresponsible individualism? How do you define that? Rugged individualism to me would be that people would go and do things for themselves. 
They would take responsibility for their actions, take responsibility for what they said, look after themselves. That's not what our form of individualism is. Our individualism is anybody can do whatever they want and there's no responsibility associated with it at all. I look at it and I see a nation where people can go and do and say whatever they want and let the place burn down. Nobody's responsible for that. Why? Because there's good people on both sides. No, there's not. If someone is a sack of shit, they're a sack of shit. Call it as it is. There are no good people that are fascists. We fought a war to end fascism because it was so dangerous to the entirety of the world. Yeah, World War II, and now, what, 70 years later, we're embracing it. Exactly. We're embracing the ideals that Germany did because of the Nazis, and that almost destroyed that nation permanently. I hope we don't go down that particular road ourselves. So how did we get to this place? I think that's what we need to talk about. How did we get here? Post-World War II saw the United States become a global power. Because of the vacuum created by the destruction of Europe, and the reconstruction of the Soviet Union, the United States became the only nation capable of projecting power around the globe. This led to a shift in doctrine and a creep further to the right. As the politics of the nation became more divisive, the focus of representation shifted from governance to maintenance of power. With each opportunity, the center line continued to shift to the right, eliminating the leftist balance and forcing the nation further towards totalitarianism. So how did we get to the point in this political spectrum where the United States is today? I want to start out with the Founding Fathers. My understanding is when the country was founded, our Founding Fathers were more of the beliefs of liberalism. That's accurate. The Founding Fathers, most of them followed the teachings of John Locke. Um, As a matter of fact, most of what is in the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution are directly lifted from writings by John Locke. So when you talk about where the Founding Fathers got their ideas, they got it from one of the greatest liberal thinkers in the history of that philosophy. So would you consider liberalism centrist? Yes, uh, for the most part, you've, you've got liberalism, centrism, and conservatism that are all very close together. Like you say, centrism is, is a hybrid between liberalism and conservatism. It's a blend, and that's where you find a majority of Americans, and especially within the halls of power. That's where people tried to gravitate to was that center's perspective to keep the liberal ideals that most Americans embrace in check, but also keep the conservative ideals that, again, a large percentage of Americans also embrace. So if we were a centrist nation, when did that shift? I would say we began to shift shortly after World War II. We were very much, there was was that power vacuum after World War II. There was nobody that could stand up to the United States. So what did we do at that time? Prior to that, we were an isolationist nation. After World War II, we began to expand banned our horizons substantially. We put military bases around the world. We projected our economic might around the world. And in doing so, we began to shift slowly to the right. It was a slow burn, and it took years for that to happen, obviously. You know, I I would say that if you're looking for flash moments when you can pinpoint when the shift really started in earnest, 
I would say the first one would be McCarthyism and the Red Scare. Okay, can you talk a little bit about that? What happened during that period of time in the United States with McCarthyism? And how did that lead to the, sh- the continuation of the shift? Well, there was something called the Red Scare. People were afraid that the the only other power like the United States was the Soviet Union. And this this was right on the heels of, of Sputnik, and it kind of shook the confidence of the nation and took a little bit of the swagger away from the United States that that we had. All of a sudden, we weren't the best at everything. We were kind of second fiddle because who had a satellite in orbit? The Russians. The space race. Yes, exactly. The Soviet Union, they happened to get into space before us. And all of a sudden, it made them, hmm, they're an enemy. They were an ally during World War II, but they quickly became our biggest enemy. So, as a result, being associated with anything to do with the Soviet Union or the communist, communism. yeah, the communist ideology was a bad thing. And Joseph McCarthy used the Red Scare to his advantage, and he ended up ruining a number of people in this country. Um, made it so they they could not get jobs. You've probably seen some of the Hollywood movies about that time, and they did attack Hollywood because Hollywood took a very liberal perspective on things, and a lot of people were accused of being closet communists. Or people were actually communists. They embraced that ideology, and then they were told that that was no longer an acceptable ideology in the United States. Yeah, that's that's correct. McCarthy made communism verboten. Um, you you are not allowed to be a communist. You are not allowed to have communist thoughts. Karl Marx became a bad guy. Guy's a philosopher. I don't know how, how any philosopher becomes a bad guy. It's what you do with that philosophy that matters. And I don't see how a philosopher talking about how things could or should be done is all of a sudden an enemy of the state. We're supposed to be a country that listens to each other, listens to all ideas, and find the commonalities that bring us together and use those to find solutions. But McCarthy made it so that communists were no longer part of the conversation. They went and they took the political spectrum and they lopped off the far left end of it. And to maintain balance, they had to move the fulcrum, which is the center line, further to the right. So as opposed to it being centrism, conservatism was now the center. The midpoint. Exactly, the center of that spectrum. spectrum. Okay, and then what was the next way in which the spectrum moved? I I think you can uh, go and probably point to Ronald Reagan and the way that he poisoned the term socialism. Socialism became another very, very dirty word, and you did not want to be a socialist. In the 1980s, you saw a lot of countries break from that. They practice a very different type of socialism. Socialism is a big tent. You can look at Scandinavian countries as socialist countries. You can go and look at Canada as a quasi-socialist country. Socialism is a big tent. And Reagan did his best to attack socialism and make it the next big boogeyman to the point where, again, being a socialist 
It was a dirty word. You were an enemy of the state. So when you eliminate communism and you eliminate socialism and the midpoint, the fulcrum continues to move further to the right, then you're starting to eliminate ideologies and ideals and, and ways of thinking. From the left. From the left that are that are no longer acceptable. Exactly. So then, then you're only talking about things from the majority of a right-wing perspective. Now, what made things even worse is that things continue to evolve and now liberalism is in the crosshairs. It's a dirty word to be a liberal. You do not want to be a liberal in the United States. It's a bad thing. And that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy because the founding fathers were liberals. There is no argument about this. Anybody can go back and do their homework. They will find that the founding fathers embraced enlightenment thinking, which was liberal ideology. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the foundation of liberal thought. Yeah, and that's a big loss for our country and for our political ideology and the political spectrum. So I want to know in, in more recent times, what were some of the other ways in which this spectrum has continued to shift? You, you could then go and look at the rise of the Tea Party. The Tea Party was basically um, an astroturf campaign driven by libertarians. And they, again, pushed the Republican Party further and further to the right. Now, a lot of those particular libertarians were John Birch Society members. Can you explain what that is for people who may not understand what that terminology is? The John Birch Society is an organization that espouses very libertarian perspectives on everything. They believe that industry should have zero governance placed over them. There should be no regulation, that all means of production should go to the individual. It is just one step short of fascism. As a matter of fact, a lot of people that were in the John Birch Society were at one point Nazi sympathizers, historically speaking. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yes. Historically speaking, you can go through and look at a number of people that were founding members of the John Birch Society, and they had some really, really sketchy pasts. Interesting. So I also want to talk about the way in which the Republicans have embraced evangelicalism and how that has impacted the Republican Party and their shift to the right. Reagan went and made the grand deal with the moral majority to get the vote of that particular block. Now, those those particular individuals are extremely conservative, have always been very staunch in support of their moral perspective, which is really ironic in, in today's day and age because the evangelicals are massive supporters of Donald Trump as well. And this is a guy who's the antithesis. Well, that's what I was going to say. In what ways does Trump embrace the evangelical ideology? He doesn't. Name one way. He doesn't. Everything he does is counter to what evangelicals have long held as the character traits that you must have for us to support you. Reagan made that deal back in the 80s, and the, the GOP has had to carry that particular banner since. And they have for good reason, because it helps maintain their power. When you have a voting block that 
big that is willing to go and vote for you regardless of how many heinous things that you do. It's 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 mind numbing. Well, they say what were their current statistics of the number of U.S. citizens right now that embrace an evangelical ideology is about twenty five percent of the United yeah, tw- States population. So that's enough to swing any vote probably or any election probably if all of those people voted. Yeah, 25-26% are evangelical. It's a very important voting block. I understand why the Republicans did what they did. It makes all the sense in the world, but they did it for maintenance of power. It was not about governance. So evangelicals are Christian, and they are supposedly followers of Jesus and Jesus's ideology. So how do we get from a party that is embracing evangelical ideology to now a party that's embracing hate? How do we get from evangelicals who are followers of Jesus to basically white supremacists and and people who are Trump is saying, there's good people on both sides. You know, we have things like Charlotte where people in the KKK and skinheads and and white supremacists are marching? I don't know how to answer that question. I really honestly do not know how to answer that question because that is, that's the magic recipe that is working for the GOP right now. But is it working? That That is a question that I have. Is it working for them? Because we find ourselves now in a situation where moderate Republicans don't feel like they have a, a home under that umbrella of the Republican Party. If you have a party that's embracing extreme ideology, where do the moderate Republicans go? Well, again, that's that's part of the shift. When, when we went further and further to the right with the Tea Party and embracement of those very extreme libertarian perspectives that were espoused by those card-carrying members of the John Birch Society, it basically shifted that fulcrum well past the point of where conservatism was the center point. It now was resting the extreme conservative end of that classification was now where the fulcrum found itself. That meant that a good number of people that identify and self-identify as conservatives find them over on the left side of that center line. Ronald Reagan today would not be a Republican. Ronald Reagan would be a Democrat, and he'd be a liberal Democrat at that. Yet we still... We still hear uh, a lot of Republicans holding him up as the godfather of the modern Republican Party. St. Reagan, if you go back and you look at his policy positions, what he said, what he believed in, he would be a liberal Democrat today. Not to the extent of AOC, but he would still be in that liberal group. There's still a lot more conservative Democrats in the party than Ronald Reagan would be. So since we have fringe people, uh, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, the KKK, but they've always been hiding in the shadows. Yes, uh, that's because they were the fringe. But now that they've come out of the uh, come out of the shadows and and are being validated by the current president, um, and we see white nationalism, segregationism, and those ideologies um, no longer being considered fringe do you feel like that there's going to be a pendulum to the to the other extreme where we are able to embrace more liberal ideologies or do you think that we've just moved to the right i would suggest that we've reached the apogee of the current pendulum swing and that we are about to see some type of movement in another direction Now, I'm not sure whether that other direction is going to be back towards more liberal ideas, back towards centrism, 
Um, I'm hoping that's the way we go. The other movement that can possibly take place, and anybody who's watched a pendulum swing out of control acknowledges this, it can come unhinged and the mechanism can break. Oh, the pendulum just completely falls off. Falls off the rails. The rails. And yes. yeah, you no longer have a pendulum. But I guess I wanted to just bring up people in the progressive side of the spectrum. We have a few. We have the Bernie Sanders and the Bernie bros. We have the AOCs. There is a, a movement toward a more progressive Democratic Party. Those are very, very few voices. If, if you look at the Democratic Party, how many seats are there in the House? And how many do the yeah. Democrats hold? And we're talking three to five voices. Yeah, I think there's there were they were five, yeah. Yeah, so there's not a massive number of progressives that own the Democratic Party. That is a great talking point and scare factor for the Republicans, but the reality well, is Well, the way re- the Republicans talk, you think that <laughs> you think that there were an angry mob coming in to take over the country. That's because they use fear to their advantage. They continue to try and stoke fear so that it helps them maintain their power. Because that's what this is all about. It is not about governance. It is about maintenance of power. Well, that brings us back to when we mentioned the United States being corporatocracy or a kleptocracy more so than being a, a democracy or even a capitalist society. And again, we're, we're not a capitalist society. We, there's certain things about capitalism that we like and that we believe America is about. But when you actually look at how the systems are run, who owns what, how things work, we're not even embracing the true market economy. We're letting the corporations dictate the market. We're letting the corporations dictate policy in regards to how that market can be regulated. All you have to do is look at the Trump administration. You look at every cabinet position that has been filled. What did he do? He reached out to lobbyists who were against regulation and put them into those cabinet level positions to destroy those particular cabinet posts. Those particular to the depart- benefit of large corporations. Yeah, exactly. American politics is an absolute mess. The spectrum has shrunk and the difference between traditional Republicans and Democrats is not that much different. The extreme right, so representative in the Trump base and administration, are the outlier, but an outlier that is driving our politics and culture over the cliff, full Thelma and Louise fashion. The brakes need to be applied, but the concern is the thin slice of the political spectrum does not allow for the diversity of thought to save the nation. My question was, where have all the Republicans gone? Where where have the moderate Republicans gone? If we've moved this political spectrum so far to the right, my feeling is the majority of Americans on either side of the spectrum are probably closer to being moderate. Where have all the moderate Republicans gone? That's a good question. Basically, the moderate Republicans still threw their support behind Trump in 2016. They said, hey, let's let's give this guy... A chance. Let's let's see what he can do. Instead of going with their initial gut instinct and recognize that he would be very much the bomb thrower that he is and do so many things that were damaging to our government, our institutions. So now there's a lot of them that are having buyer's remorse. And they're worried about a system collapse, truly a collapse of the democratic system and the fabric of our nation and our society. 
just collapsing. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And that is the right perspective to have. You sit and you look at what's going on, the destruction that has been done to the institutions of the United States. It's not a good place to be right now. I think Republicans have to they have to wrestle with that particular decision that they made. And a lot of them are now coming back and saying, you know what, we made a mistake. Let's go and let's try and get that pendulum swinging back the other way. Let's try and get somebody in there who will restore some faith in our in our politics, in our institutions, restore the faith of the people in the government itself. Because right now, people have very little faith in our form of government. And yeah. that's not good because government is is of the people and for the people. Well, I've seen just looking on Twitter and, and on the internet that there's been an emergence of Republicans that are for Biden. And particularly the Lincoln Project has been doing a lot of outreach to get their word out that they are nervous and they are scared. And we need that they feel and a lot of us feel that we need to restore a sense of normalcy to our government. I agree with that. I think that's a good observation. I would like to give kudos to the Lincoln Project. Their messaging is absolutely brilliant. They're smart. They're on point. They use Trump's own words against him. So they have set up their communication directly to other Republicans, to other conservatives to recognize that this guy is not embracing the values that you claim are important to you. But this dude over here, he, he may be Republican light, but he is much more conservative in his approach than Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is all over the roadmap. He does not embrace ideology in any shape or form, which makes him a very dangerous person. You cannot run a country as powerful and as large as the United States of America without having some ideological positions that are consistent, and he has none. In my opinion, his one consistent position is enriching himself. Whatever is going to enrich himself is going to be what he supports, and that's it. Yes, which of course does not help provide any semblance of confidence in our institutions. It does not, it does not give the people any confidence in our institutions, they will follow our leader. Well, a true leader it doesn't serve themselves. They, they are supposed to be in service of the people who are following them. Exactly. And Trump is not that way. He only looks out for himself and his best interests. To hell with the United States and to hell with the fallout from his decisions. His, his decisions are what is going to give me immediate gratitude? What What is going to give me an immediate endorphin rush? It is not about how are we going to set up this country so that the decisions we make today, we can stand by and deal with the outcome for the next 40 years. That's not the way he thinks. So uh, do you think it is easier for Republicans to embrace Joe Biden currently because he feels more Republican than Trump does? Yes, I think that he would be a much easier sell to traditional Republicans, and that would be the traditional conservatives, because conservatives like structure. They like to have things 
the same. Trump has come in and done so many things that are counter to conservative ideology that I can see why there's so many of them running scared in the other direction and why they're willing to go and talk to somebody like Joe Biden. Because in reality, you know, Biden served in the Obama administration and the Obama administration was not that much different than the Bush administration. Well, I always called Obama Bush light. And that's that's true. As with any administration, they are going to take advantage of every loophole that was created by the administration in front of, in front of them. So in this particular situation, Obama had to come in and clean up an awful big mess that was left on the doorstep. It was the proverbial bag of flaming dog poop on the front porch. And Obama had to go and deal with a massive economic crisis, had to deal with two wars, had to deal with Guantanamo, and had to get us out of that particular mess. And the only way to do that and maintain any level of trust in our institutions was to maintain status quo for much of it. Because a lot of a lot of that responsibility also goes back to Congress and especially the Senate. So, you know, again, you you had uh, John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. They were the ones that were making it almost impossible for Obama to do anything but stay on the same track that Bush put the country on. I think there were some decisions that he could have made that would be more in line with the platform upon which he ran, which is, was hope and change. And I don't think much changed. I think there were things that he could have changed that he didn't. Oh, I, I agree. I, I think that you can go administration to administration and see mistakes that were made. George W. Bush made a massive mistake after 9-11. He turned that into an opportunity to settle scores more so than try and bring the world together and solve a larger problem extremism. And he didn't go down that particular avenue. He could have reached out to Russia at the time and completely changed the relationship we had with Russia. Obama, he had that economic crisis and the banks failing. And, you know, we bought AIG. We bought a massive chunk of AIG. He could have instituted single-payer health care using AIG as the platform for that wouldn't have cost the taxpayers a dime because we already spent the money to go and prop them up. We owned 85% of AIG. So he could have gone that road. He elected not to. He instead gave the money directly to the banks and let them do with it what they would. And what they would do with it is what all banks do, reap profits. So yes, Obama made mistakes, but he was kind of held in check by Boehner and McConnell. I think that he did a reasonable job. Do I wish he had done more? Do I wish he had been more progressive in his approach to things? Yes, because I think there was lots of opportunity for him to do so, but he elected not to. Which brings us to Joe Biden, right. who was uh, his vice president, obviously. Was the vice president, that. yes. So what will be the political spectrum under Joe Biden? Is it going to be more more of a... It'll, it'll be a shift, I think, back to centrism. Biden will have to deal with his party. There are progressives within the party that, that are going to be expecting a bigger shift way to the left, and that's just not going to happen. We have to re-establish the left. That means we have to go back to the center, move that fulcrum back towards the center. We have to re-establish the ideal that liberalism is a good thing, that socialism isn't bad, and that there is a place for communism 
in the discussion. It doesn't mean that we have to embrace it, but we have to acknowledge it is there and that there are components of communism that we can learn from. We don't have to embrace the ideology, but we can learn from it. That's the thing. You can look at all ideologies, and you can find things within those ideologies that you should be able to learn from. Take an idea from even extremism and fold those into how you solve problems. So how will we get back the other end of the spectrum when we see a divide even between in the de- in the democratic party we see a divide between so-called liberals and so-called progressives that i think impacted the election with hillary i think that there were a number of people who considered themselves progressive that wouldn't have voted f- that didn't vote for hillary hillary clinton is a completely different problem she was just such an unlikable person nobody could get behind hillary clinton there was 65 million people who held their nose and voted for Hillary. When you look at it, she ran a terrible campaign. She didn't have any really fresh ideas. It was it was easy to see why she lost. But I guess my question is, uh, will Biden be able to unite those? We had Bernie bros, the so-called Bernie bros, who were never to vote for Clinton because she wasn't progressive enough. Certainly, we could argue that Biden is not progressive either. Will but will he be able to unite that left part of the, the party or the political spectrum? He has to. If he can't, it means another four years of Trump. Likely means the end of American democracy as we know it. I really am terrified at the prospect of what things would look like after another four years of Trump. Things have gone so off the rails in, in the first four, I don't know what it would look like in the next four. So that's up to Biden. And it's also up to every one of those voters. Because, again, those those Bernie voters, they're partly responsible for Trump. Because some of them held their nose and voted the other way, just out of spite. If I can't have my Bernie, you can't have your Hillary. Well, guess what? We got Trump instead. Right. And do you think that will be an issue with Biden? Because... It could be argued that he is conservative or moderate. He's uh, moderate, but he's more conservative than Trump is. You know, he, he at least, Biden at least embraces certain characteristics and embraces certain ideological positions and beliefs. Trump doesn't. So I hope that everybody that is supposedly a Democrat is supposedly on the, on the left. And based on where the center line is right now, That should be a massive majority of this country. I hope that they get behind Biden and they elect normalcy, that they return some normalcy to the Oval Office, get somebody with a brain in the Oval Office again. So the effort to silence the left. In our country, socialism is now a dirty word. Yes. So yet, th- yet we embrace it so often when it comes to the corporations. That's called corporate welfare? Exactly. We will turn around and take money from the poor, take money from the middle class, and we will give it to corporations. The United States finds itself at a crossroads. Its current location in the political spectrum has led to the international community going from embracing the United States to keeping America at arm's length and viewed with much skepticism. The extreme nature of her politics has led to internal strife and observers suggesting America should get its own house in order before telling others how to run their countries. 
The American global reputation has taken a significant hit and hegemony has all but disappeared. Extremism threatens to bring the great American democratic experiment to an end. A major makeover of our democratic institutions is needed and in short order. What's next? Could the U.S. embrace a multi-party system? That's a difficult proposition. Everything in the way our government is set up is designed for that binary choice. You're either Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, with us, against us. Well, it's like having two sizes of suits. You either get a small or a large, and neither most of, of the country is medium, size medium. Yeah, ne- neither of the two sizes fit, and it doesn't really work out in the long run. Yes, should we have a third party? Yes. Should we have a fourth, a fifth party? Yes, this country is so large, it does not make sense that a two-party system is going to work. You can look at the differences between two conservative parts of the nation. Look at Alabama, look at Arizona. Two very, very different parts of the country. Very different problems. Yet, they still believe that one party is going to be representative of what they think are their particular ideals. The reality is that we need more diversity. We need more diversity of thought. We need more diversity of opinion. We need more diversity of ideas. A two-party system is just not going to work. Now, to me, they could very easily solve this problem. They could turn around and stop letting all these people run for office under two different banners. Make them run on their own merits. Make them all independents. Make them be representatives of their constituents. Let them go to Congress as a representative of their constituents and then caucus on given problems. Make it topic driven rather than a team sport. Exactly. Yeah, because right now there isn't a lot of diversity of ideas and opinions within each of those parties, particularly on the right side of the spectrum where you have talking points. The Republicans have talking points that are magnified by the megaphone of the Fox News machine. Well, and it's because that, you know, this goes back to Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich started with the whole purity pledge. If you were going to be a Republican in his party, you were going to do things his way. You were going to follow his talking points. And if you didn't, he would get you out of the party. He would get you primaried. He would get you run out on a rail. It's not American. That's that's crazy. That's the type of thing that you see in some of these tin pan dictatorships around the world, in some of these banana republics. You don't see that type of behavior in the United States. That behavior was unbecoming of the Speaker of the House. Uh, he should be ashamed of what he did back then. But you know what? The barn door was thrown open. The horses all ran down the road. Now we're left with the barn and nothing else. So tell me a little bit about the political spectrum in some other countries. For people who don't know or aren't aware of some of the ways in which other countries handle their democratic process, if, if well, they're democracies. Yeah, let's let's go right next door. Let's, let's go to Canada. Canada is very much like us in many ways, but also very different from us in many ways. They use a parliamentary system for governance. They have multiple parties, and some of those parties are only reflective of their particular regional perspective. In Canada, they, they've got the Parti Québécois, 
who represent only Quebec. You've got, used to have, a party in Western Canada, the Western Reform Party, that was only focused in on Western Canadian issues. But you know what? It worked because in that parliamentary system, plurality didn't matter. What mattered was that you were there representing and you had to find compromise to get policy passed. One of the best things that I think ever happens is in the parliamentary system when the government is a minority government. That means they do not have a majority vote. They do not hold the majority of seats in parliament. Instead, they hold less than 50%. That means they have to go and they have to work with the other parties to come up and find compromise so that policy will be supported, so that law can be passed, and that things can get done from a governmental perspective. That's what we need in this country. Because right now, we run on a plurality system. And that doesn't work worth a damn. Well, as you like to say, the U.S. was built on war, not compromise, as Canada was. So that's what's influenced the fact that we have tribalism and we have people who are more committed to their team or their tribe than they are to the the good of the nation. That's 100% accurate. Unfortunately, that's the way the nation was founded. That's the way we've developed as a nation. We have these particular beliefs and ideals that are drilled into our heads. Um, We're indoctrinated to think certain ways, and we don't really have a good education system that teaches us how to think critically. You don't really start seeing those critical thinking skills developed until you're in college or university. Well, and there's also some evidence to suggest that there may be a genetic component to whether you have a tendency to embrace liberal ideology or conservative ideology. And that's accurate. There's all sorts of studies that have looked at this. You can actually go and measure brain function using magnetic resonance imaging. And certain parts of the brain light up differently in liberals versus conservatives. It's not it's not wrong. Neither, neither is right or wrong. It's just the way that you are pre-wired. And depending upon how you're brought up, it can amplify that or it can go and suppress that function. Republicans tend to rely heavily on the amygdala. Fear. Yeah, the fear center of the brain, which is why Fox News is as successful as they are with their particular audience, because a lot of what they do is leverage fear-based campaigns. Liberals, on the other hand, rely more on the higher brain functions, the, the frontal cortex, and they tend to rely more on processing centers that are associated with uh, social justice, believe it or not. So ultimately, you can when, when you stand in a room with conservatives and liberals and something goes wrong, someone opens up fire with a gun, you can tell the conservatives immediately because they're going to hit the ground and they're going to protect their ass. The liberals are going to stand there and think, hmm, what should I do? Let me ponder this. It's just the way we're wired. And it's not something that, that we should be turning around and saying, you're wrong over which way you're wired. We should be using that particular diversity to develop strength in what we do. Your strengths in certain areas help protect me. My strengths in certain areas help enrich your life. We should be working together and we don't do that because instead we rely on these black and white caricatures of how we see each other. Well, we're divided in so many ways. So right now the United States is one of the ways in which we have been divided is uh, urban 
urban versus rural. They've pitted the urban elites, so to speak, versus more of the blue-collar rural uh, America. Well, not have again, been pitted against each other. Yeah, that's that's the way that they want to have these particular battles take place. They want to divide and then conquer, so that if they can go and create division, as opposed to turning around and finding ways that we are all the same, it's much easier to go and find the differences and emphasize that because then it causes fear. It activates our fear receptors in the brain and causes us to actually go and it it kicks in our fear mechanism, our fight or flight. And more often than not, people will, one, either flee or two, they will look to somebody to protect them. And that's where the political parties come in with their messaging and they turn around and tell you, I'm here to protect you, even though it's total bullshit. Right. More often than not, they're protecting their own interests or the interests of the lobbyists that are paying for their uh, political campaigns. Exactly. The other divide that I wanted to talk about was the baby boomers, the age divide, the baby boomers versus the millennials. What do you think about that? I try not to. Well, the way in which they're being pitted against each other too, I feel like a lot of boomers are more of the traditional Republicans. They've been lifelong Republicans. It's a fear of being no longer having a place in the United States. They're being told when, when the socialists take over, America will no longer be the traditional America that they knew and loved. Which is really ironic because when you get old and things start to break down, the one thing that you need is for someone to be there to take care of you. Which is a younger <laughs> a younger person. Well, no, that's that's where you want socialism. Well, true. Because we're a very socialistic country. With you when you go and you actually look at the things that we embrace, we're so pro military. Military is nothing but socialism in action. We all pay to support it. We all embrace it. We we make it happen. Social networks, yeah. Police, fire, same type of thing. We all pay for it. Education, highways, airports. These are all things that would not be built without socialism. If you want to look at what made America the great country it is, it's all that incredibly hard work that FDR challenged the nation to do at the height of the Depression. He pulled us out of the Depression by challenging the nation to build all these incredible structures. You know, Hoover Dam. Do you think that would be built today? I don't think we've built a significant dam in 30, 40 years. Oh, yeah, if that, yeah. You know, we, we haven't built a new nuclear reactor for that long. You know, it's been 30, 40 years since a new nuclear reactor was uh, licensed. We do not take on the big challenges anymore. Why? Because they require socialism to do. The state has to work together to make those things happen. So how do we come together on issues? In my opinion, most Americans value the same things. We value our families. We value the the right to work and to, you know, have an income and have a house and And that's how you solve those problems. You look at those similarities. You find the things that bring us together and you find solutions that address those very issues more so than the things that make us different. Well, who's going to champion that when the political parties are so divided and there's no diversity of thought allowed in the parties themselves? But that's the ironic part, is that they are not that far apart. 
everything is highly conservative because of where the center point on the spectrum lay. So it's not like, you know, you've got to talk with the socialists as a libertarian, which is, you know, which is miles apart on the political spectrum. Instead, you've got a conservative that has to talk to a libertarian. Ooh, that's a big jump. It's not a jump at all. Except that we're told by the media and the by the system that these, this is a divide that's so far apart that that we're, we're never going to be able to come together as Americans. We're being told. And if people aren't educated and don't know, uh, maybe haven't been taught the things we're talking about today, they may believe that. I'm so far I'm so far apart from someone who's a Democrat, if you're a Republican. I'm, I'm just so far apart from a Democrat. I have no common ground with them. You know, we don't, we don't share any of the same beliefs. Well, that's what they want you to believe. That's what I'm saying. And that's it's because they have moved in so close to the topic that they are are examining instead of staying above the fray. That's media's job is to dig into the details, but it's also their job to stay above the fray and not get locked into that particular discussion, not get so engaged that you cannot see what's going on. To me, media has to remain at that 50,000 foot level and keep an eye on the bigger picture. So then what what do we do as Americans? If most Americans are moderate um, and want to see a government that is for the people and, and want to embrace the values you know that most Americans want, to embrace we want to see a government that represents that where do we go next canada move to canada (laughs) okay if you don't have the opportunity to move to canada what can you do you need to hold your representatives feet to the fire you have to make them representative of your perspective we have to start running candidates that believe in being representative of all constituents. We have to break this gridlock of the party system. We have to go and, I think, go down the road of getting rid of the two-party system. We have to go and have people go to Washington that are representing the state and the the particular district that they're from and the important issues that are, that are core to the people of that particular district. What about just having, I think you mentioned, earlier just having independence that's not ex- having parties just saying the person who's coming to to congress is going to represent me the person who lives on the border of the united states in northern maine they're going to represent me and my issues and, and my point of view yes that's the way we should be doing it is that everybody should be an independent um this whole idea that we're working together as a party to forward something is ridiculous when you have that much of a stronghold over your party and you don't allow for any diversity of ideology or thought or vote that's an issue we saw that with jeff flake who was supposedly representing arizona and in public he would say you know the things that you would expect someone to say yet he would still and vote. that he voted as a block with his party yes. which was counter to everything that he ever said yes okay so moving forward what do you think do you think I- joe biden is going to be able to or you the country or at least bring some normalcy to the country my hope is that he will bring some normalcy to the country if he gets elected i'm not sure that he is going to get elected there is still a lot of time for trump to turn this eight to ten point deficit around but the reality is that that's still a possibility well that's it for this podcast We hope you enjoyed our discussion about the political spectrum and it has been informative as to why our politics are so messy 
and such an outlier to the rest of the world. If you did, please subscribe so you don't miss any content. Also, feel free to visit us at theexcitedstates.com, where you'll find more content and commentary. Next week, we'll be discussing science denial in the United States and what impact it is having on our nation and the rest of the world. Thank you for listening and the investment of your time. The Excited States of America is a production of people who have just given up on the system. Segment production is by Martha. Engineering is by George. Writing is by Martha, George, our contributors, and our listeners. The funny bits are strictly George's work. Production notes can be found at theexcitedstates.com. If you like our content, please subscribe and share with your friends. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than those of the authors. The same disclaimers extend to our guests and content contributors. Views are subject to change, revision, or rethinking as more information comes available and cultural expectations shift around us. This podcast and any associated written work is protected by copyright, along with the First Amendment protections afforded by the U.S. Constitution. Comments may be submitted through theexcitedstates.com, but be aware, comments are the sole responsibility of the writer and shall take full responsibility and liability for any libel or litigation from said comments. We reserve the right to moderate comments submitted for the protection of the innocent and the ignorant. Change begins with an idea. Leadership begins taking that idea, developing a following, and creating action. Let's change direction by discussing ideas, not ideals. This has been a Bunny Hug production.